Hi everybody, this is John with Out of Character. Uh, today's episode's gonna be a little shorter than usual because we're actually recording a D&D session in the next few hours, but I want to make sure that we aren't missing weeks. So, I didn't have time to edit one of our other actual plays, and I do want to still produce something for people to listen to. I'm excited for today because it kind of plays into what I wanted to talk about a little bit, which is world building. I think that when it comes to being a GM and running games, one of the most ambitious and hardest things you can do is to try and build your own world for any system. Uh, so pretty much almost every system pretty much comes with a world attached to it already. Uh, from, you know, Dungeons and Dragons has numerous settings. Uh, you know, Shadowrun has its own post-apocalyptic urban fantasy thing. Um, even Fate, which is very open, there's tons of setting books, there's tons of little worlds that they've come up with, and you can always kind of find... One of the cool things I liked about the uh, the Dresden Files role-playing game was building the city or area that your game was going to take place in and figuring it out. That's kind of... Uh, it, it, that always interested me because it was kind of a, a way to start world-building without actually building an entire world. But when I mean when I say world building, what I'm talking about is really like fleshing out an entire setting and figuring out, you know, we're not going to use Forgotten Realms, we're not going to use um any pre-existing setting, we're going to do our own thing. And I think that that's one of the things that a lot of GMs are very eager to try and either they don't get a good result from it or they just get intimidated and they never finish. Back when I started running Dungeons and Dragons, I tried to do my own little world. It was very kind of generic fantasy setting. And that was the first game I ever ran. It, you know, carried on for a bit. And then that gaming group kind of disintegrated. And it would be a few years before I would try again to build my own world. This time it was when I was running uh, D&D for teens at the local library, that was kind of my own little, it wasn't really a, a full world. It was pretty much like a little corner of a world in the hopes that the players would travel around and see other parts of it. They pretty much were all around this one massive forest and they explored that a lot. Again, that was a very kind of fantasy centric, you know, nothing that would like stride too far away. Um, I was very much trying to play it safe and kind of have that skeleton of the old fantasy tropes that were there to build on. And, you know, over the years, I've, I've done stuff in the Forgotten Realms. I've done games in uh, Middle-earth. I've done games in, you know, uh, the Dark Sun setting. I have done, you know, if you get into, like... Uh, basically, if there's a game, I've probably run it and messed with and done stuff with an established setting at one point or another. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't have to build your own world if you don't want to. If you and your players are like, we all love Forgotten Realms, or we're happy playing there, then, you know, don't feel like you have to. Sometimes I do feel like there's pressure on GMs. Like, some GMs will, like, say you're not a real GM unless you've, you know, built your own homebrew setting. And I'm like, yeah, no, you don't have to do it. It's It's something that I think is fun. And that I've slowly been trying to figure out how to do in a way that makes sense. But, but at the same time, we're seeing like, as, you know, gaming becomes more popular and things are more easily produced for it, 
and made accessible to the public, you know, there's so many homebrew games. And it's almost like you're kind of in this weird thing of some players don't like to play in your homebrew setting because it's something that's usually unique to your table. And some people don't want to play in an established setting because I feel like sometimes Forgotten Realms, there's so many stories that have gone, that have taken place in the Forgotten Realms that it's like they, they've explored every little area. There's so much going on. And one of the things that people say is like, you don't want to overshadow your characters with more powerful characters, you know, more powerful NPCs. I'm like, there's so many big name heroes walking around in the Forgotten Realms at any given moment. It's really easy for them to just kind of be overshadowed when the heroes of the hall show up or Elminster shows up or insert character hero shows up. Those first few worlds that I came up with were not really worlds. They were a vague idea of kind of a standard fantasy setting that wasn't one of the settings that already existed. And I tried that a few times. Never really got anywhere with it. I'd sit down and be like, I'm going to write a, a setting, and I'd have an idea, and I'd try to build it from zero out. And I would get stuck, or I wouldn't finish, or I'd have an idea, but not really a way to make the whole world fit together. And I think that might be where some GMs like me who are doing it for the first time or doing it when they're starting out, get stuck. Um, what I realized right before I decided to run the game that I'm going to be running later today, which is going to take place in a homebrew setting that I've made up, is that I had been making this world for 10 years without realizing it. Um, I started making it the first time I ran D&D, and I continued making it until this morning when I was, you know, adding in little notes. The thing that I would say, if you're trying to build a homebrew setting, there there are a couple of tips that I've learned. One is, have an idea of, like, why is your why is this world different than any other setting? What is this adding that's, that's not already present? You know, you have, like, Eberron that's kind of, like, steampunk fantasy which is very different than, say, The Forgotten Realms, which is, you know, more traditional fantasy. If you just want to do a traditional fantasy setting, like something similar to Forgotten Realms or Middle-Earth or any of those, that's fine. But just think, like, where does this kind of fit among other established settings? And when you do that, then I want, then what I did was kind of, like, figure out, like, what's, what's different? What makes this stand out to make it worth investing all that time and energy and building it out, whether it's, you know, just you have a different uh, pantheon, or is it a world that has no magic, or is it a world that, you know, magic has be is, is so common, basically everyone can do a little bit of magic. Have an idea. So once you kind of have that central idea, and you have figured out kind of like where you're going to fit things, you're saying like, okay, in this world, this is what's different. Try to come up with some big events that has shaken things up. In Dark Sun, one of the big, the big event is that one of the Sorcerer Kings has died. And that has kind of like shaken up the city states that are the pockets of civilization in that setting. Power vacuums, wars, things that are going to force the world to kind of reshape itself are a great point for people to step in as their characters. And have a say in how that world grows. Don't feel like you have to fill in every corner of the map. Don't feel like you have to fill in every single little space to world build. And you, you honestly, you shouldn't. You have an idea of like, okay, when I was doing this world, I drew out my map 
of places that the players might likely be. And there weren't that many. Um, I think I, you know, I filled in a good amount of the space. And then I said, like, I want there to be places where there is nothing. You want your players to be able to kind of add to what's there. Sometimes that might be a shop that you didn't think of. You know, if they say, hey, I want to, you know, seek out uh, a musical instrument shop. That might be something that you say, like, hey, I hadn't thought of that for this city in your setting. And you add it. And that's just, you know, GMing as a rule. Improv is your friend. But when it comes to world building, I think that there's this impulse to, like, you have to control everything and make everything completely fleshed out as soon as you, before you show it to players. Have an idea. Have a firm kind of layout for where things are. But don't be afraid to move things. And definitely don't be afraid to add things. I think that a setting that nothing can be added to really does leave players kind of like, oh, this is a cool world, but I can't really do anything in it. I can't add to it. I can't change it. So I do think having a physical map is helpful because like when you're in your head and you're visualizing this, you can say like, okay, I know where this is. I know what it looks like. Having a physical map that you've drawn out, don't, don't feel like you have to have this amazing map. Like Critical Role has the map that, you know, Devin Rue did. And uh, there's a lot of really amazing people with cartography skills who are making maps for fan- for gaming worlds now. And I feel like that can kind of, you, you look at that and you're like, well, my map's not going to be as good as theirs. And that's fine. It doesn't have to be. If you want to, you know, try to make your map impressive and take classes and learn to be better, that's only going to improve what you can offer as a GM. But if you're just drawing something out so you can show your players, this is the world, this is what it looks like. That's fine. It, 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 I think it enhances things to say, like, well, what's over here? You might, as a GM, say, I didn't put anything over there. Or, you know, you might have purposely left that area blank and said there's, you know, that's that's a wasteland or it's unknown territory. Some players are going to seek out that unknown territory and maybe add something to it. Who knows? But seeing the world that you're creating will make it more real, I think. Seeing some part of it um, that is visual. A lot of people are very visual, and I feel like it does kind of make the world more concrete to have that. If, you, if you're if you trying, like, to come up with, like, little pocket settings for yourself, like, I ran this game, don't feel like every time you fail to create a setting, you've lost everything. You know, I've, I've run a lot of games over the years, and I have, for this world, like, There'd be an NPC that I really, really liked that I came up with that I would say I really liked that NPC, but it didn't work for that adventure. You know, the character died or whatever. You can say, like, well, well, I'll bring it over to this. You may have liked an idea that you had, a theme that just wouldn't work somewhere else, and said, like, I'm going to, you know, try and bring that over. It took me this long to do it, to to come up with the world that I'm going to be running things in later today, because... I kept trying to, I'm like, I just wanted to be able to like create a world right away. And it takes time. It's, it's not something that like, for me, it took me this long because I wanted to make something that I was happy with, that I felt like it had that balance of there are things for the players to go and explore, but there's also, you know, a chance for them to affect change in the world and for them to find new stuff. That's kind of why I love the critical role campaign setting Taldoray so much because yes there's established places and yes there's you know things 
that are known that, you know, it's like, well, this is Whitestone or this is, you know, insert place here. But I also feel like there's chances for the players to, like, find the unknown, you know, to seek out, uh, you know, and add to the setting. Again, not to say this is the case, but sometimes I feel like with Forgotten Realms, you can't really change too much. You can't really add too much more to it because it's very defined. They're like, this is this, that's there. I think that having part of the fun to me of world building is that it can be as collaborative as anything else in the role-playing game experience. It's something you should be sharing with your players, not telling your players, you know. Yes, as a GM where you've created this world, there are things you're going to be telling the players, you know, this is what this city's like, this is how far it is from where you are. That's part of you, what you're doing as GM. If the players ask or say, hey, um, along the way, is there a trading post? Or, yeah, I remember I, I used to use this road a lot. There is a trading post uh, that used to be here. Now, you as a GM, maybe you didn't think that, you know, like, well, there's really nothing along this road, or, you know, you just didn't put anything there. You have a couple of options at that point. You could say, like, well, yeah, there there's definitely a small trading post. Um, do you, you know, and you can kind of back and forth with the player and see if they remember anything and, you know, build it out a little bit. Or maybe you say, yeah, there was a trading post and they get there and they find it like, you know, burned out and destroyed. And, you know, that can be a cool jumping off point for, uh, you know, uh, an adventure to get them into things. What I'm saying is players have creativity and they're going to add to your world. Don't feel like it has to be 100% defined perfectly before you run a game in it. One of the things that I think makes world building hard is it's similar but different to creating a module. You, you The first time you make an adventure, it's not going to be perfect. It's going to have huge plot holes and thing NPCs that need reworking and stuff just needs to be playtested and playtested and playtested. And then it, you know, gets to a point where you're either happy with it or you say, like, this is never going to work and the idea gets set aside. I think world building takes a lot longer because you have to think, like, how do, you know, how are people, is there, what, what's the, the hierarchy in this world? What are the religions like? What's, is there magic? Who are the people who live here? What are they like? How do they interact with one another? How did this world get to be here? How does it interact with, are there other worlds? Is it, you know, what kind of setting is it? Figuring all that out is hard if you're doing it in a way that's going to work and be exciting and meaningful to the players. Having said that, I think a lot of players introduce their homebrew and then they're just like, well, it has to be perfect when I do it. Parts of your world might be broken and the players might point it out and be like, well, this city is just weird or this city just doesn't make sense or it's just the kind of place they go and then they never want to look back. Not every part of your world has to be the most exciting part of it. You know, that, that little small town that they stopped at the one time, it's like, well, it's, you know, it's a small farming village. It's not the most exciting place in the world. If they throw out cool suggestions or maybe part of, you know, the first time you lead adventurers through it, things occur that change that place, then, you know, incorporate that into your setting. If you want to make a world that is exciting and compelling and interesting to players, you have to let the players have a say in it. You have to let them have a voice in it, just like they do in the story you are all telling together. That's kind of what you have to do with world building. You as a GM, you know, you come up with an, an idea for an adventure or you come up with an idea for an NPC, but your players have to interact with it. And that's really where I think the best parts of 
the hobby come out is seeing, you know, this world that you've, that only existed in your mind coming to life because your players are moving around in it. I would say the, the things that I've, the, the, the number one thing I would suggest as a GM is if you like an idea, hold on to it. If it was your idea and maybe you liked that NPC or you liked that magic system or you liked that group or creature, but it didn't quite work where you were running things. Hold on to it. You, and then, like, down the road, you might say, like, I'm ready to try and build a world out. Don't try to build the world all at once, you know? Kind of do it in bits and pieces. Visualize it. Draw it out. Say, like, does this make sense? Why, how would they move around? What's transportation like? You know, if you think about how people are going to live in this world, it will help you to make a world that actually functions. Ask yourself questions. And just remember, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the best world ever just because, you know, you want it to be perfect that first time. I think a lot of GMs are very hard on themselves and they're perfectionists and they tend to look at what other people are doing and compare it and be like, well, mine's not as good as that. It's just one of those things that I think is, uh, it's, it's really a fun experience to make a world that is your own. That is something that is unique to the stories you're telling. Whether or not my world's going to work, we're going to find out shortly because I have players who will be arriving in a few hours to run around in it. So we'll see how that goes. Again, I apologize that this episode is a bit short. have to get ready to GM, and I do want to make sure that everybody who does listen is getting at least something to tide you over. So hopefully we'll have uh, some actual play for you next week. I know it's been a while, but until next time, everybody, play more games and be safe. Bye!